Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley.
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Okay, we've been sitting a while, so I want everybody to stand up for a moment. Stand up, stand up. Now, if your mother, or your stepmother, or your grandmother, or your bonus mother, that's the mother you have when none of the others apply, but the woman who took care of you like that, if they're here, turn to her and say, thank you for all you've done for me. Now, if your mother or stepmother or grandmother or bonus mother has gone into heaven, raise your arms in the air and, say, and repeat after me, Father God, Tell my mother thanks. Tell my thanks. Now, if you're a mother, I want you to turn back to your children or grandchildren or whoever's present and repeat after me what all mothers have said. Thank you. Thank you. Just remember, I brought you into this world, <laughs> and I'll take you out. <laughs> so have a seat. <laughs> Having a mother or a grandmother is a blessed thing, isn't it? They teach us much about life. Your mother or grandmother probably taught you how to eat, how to tie your shoes, even how to go potty. She probably taught you how to run a broom or a vacuum cleaner. She may even have taught you how to make a sandwich. So much wisdom is passed down through the ages by mothers. You know, we speak of the difficulties that families have when there's no father at home, but a lot of wisdom is missing when there's no mother at home. If your mother is here today, that's a blessing. Not everyone is so blessed. For example, my wife Sandra's mother died at age 36 before Sandra was six years old. But her mother, Sandra's grandmother, died at age 22 when Sandra's mother was only two. And her mother, Sandra's great-grandmother, died at age 29, leaving a very young daughter. And her mother, Sandra's great-great-grandmother, died when her daughter was so young that she didn't remember her. Sandra is the first woman in five generations who, who has seen any of her children grow up and have children. All of the previous women in her family left their children before they were school age. There were no women in the family to pass down that wisdom from mother to daughter about how to live as adult women and how to raise children because all of Sandra's female ancestors going back over 125 years died at early ages. So if your mother is here today, that's a blessing. 
Not everyone is so blessed. You may even ask, how did Sandra, my wife, learn things? And the short answer is, she read books. And she listened to the older women at church. And that was how she learned the most important of all wisdom, that Jesus Christ was God who came to earth to bring us back from our sins, our wrongdoings, so we could once again be right with God. And so, as you know, my wife is now pastor at 7th Street Church. For the older women in her church and the Bible taught her what was the most important piece of wisdom to learn. Now, there was a man who was quite a sin-filled, rotten guy. He did a lot of wrong. He was a man named Saul. A few short months after Jesus' execution and resurrection back to life, a Christian man named Stephen got into an argument with a group of men in Jerusalem. And they claimed that Stephen was blaspheming by saying that Jesus would destroy the temple of God. And then they stoned Stephen to death. Saul was standing there. He was watching over the cloaks of the men who were throwing the stones. But Saul did hear Stephen speak of the story of Jesus before Stephen died. Well, afterwards, Saul went door to door, finding Christians and throwing them into jail. He considered Christianity to be an attack on God. He even gained a letter from the chief priests of the temple, giving him the authority to track down Christians in that other town of Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. For a period of several months, Saul was the chief persecutor of Christians, trying to stamp out this new religion which he considered sacrilegious. But on the way to Damascus, as many of you know, Saul was hit with a blinding light and Jesus spoke to him. A few days later, a man came to Saul who was still blind and spoke to him about Jesus and baptized Saul. His eyes cleared up and he was able to see again and soon Saul was known as the Apostle Paul. And he spent the rest of his life traveling around Turkey and Greece and Italy and Syria and Israel teaching about the good news of Jesus and founding churches. God can turn around anyone's life. In our first reading today, we see Paul in Athens, Greece. Athens was the largest city in Greece. And there were many temples and statues devoted to various gods and goddesses like Zeus, the thunder god, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love, Ares, the god of war, Apollo, the sun god, and many, many others. A group of men met every day on Mars Hill, known in Greek as the Areopagus, and they discussed philosophy and various religions. Paul managed to find out about this meeting and joined in one day. He addressed the group, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. I walked around town and looked at many of the temples and statues and even found an altar which said, To an unknown God. And then Paul explained that the unknown God was Jesus Christ and God the Father. He explained that to the crowd. The unknown God. Isn't that the situation in America? It's the way it was in ancient Athens, but it's the situation in America today. It's been said that the God that we worship represents our ultimate truth and values. Our people today worship many different gods. 
Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, pagan, and Christian. Many worship other things and ideas and people as their ultimate truth and values. Money and celebrities, political parties and politicians, their ultimate truth and value is a sport or sports heroes or weapons or art or movies or nature. But perhaps the largest single religion in America today is the worship of the unknown God. You know, if we ask most people in America, even today they'll reply they're Christians, and you ask them, why do you say you're a Christian? And that's a good exercise to try with people you know. What's your religion? They'll say they're Christian. You say, why do you think that you're a Christian? They'll say, of course I'm a Christian. I believe in God. But, you know, as we develop a conversation with them, we find out that while they'll speak of God, and they'll have many opinions about what God wants and likes and hates, very few will mention Jesus and what Jesus did that makes true Christians like the Apostle Paul so sure that Jesus was actually God in the flesh on the earth. For most people, you see, worship a God, but it's an unknown God. It's a God they do not know, but simply have heard of. And they believe that there are no true facts about this unknown God, only opinions. They think that God is based upon our opinions. Perhaps you or a friend do not truly know the unknown God. You need to find out about your friend. But there are facts about Jesus Christ and God, facts that are testified to by multiple witnesses in that book we call the New Testament. Perhaps you found it difficult to read. That's probably because you chose to try to read the King James Version, which you know is an English translation that came from the original Greek, it was translated in London at the same time that a man across town named William Shakespeare was writing his plays in the early 1600s. And so it sounds like Shakespeare. Now my son, who's a pastor just outside of Elkins, he loves reading and memorizing Shakespeare. And he and I have recognized and talked about how he's very rare. In fact, he's kind of weird. For most people, the language of Shakespeare is a bad memory from high school English. And so when we encounter it in the Bible, it's confusing and strange. There's nothing wrong with the King James Version. It's just difficult to read and understand for most people today. But thankfully today, there's many translations that are available in modern English. You can get the Message or the New International Version or even the New King James Version. All of them have a language that's been updated in modern English. And if you go to BibleGateway.com on your phone or computer, you can select from over 20 different English translations, and there's a bunch of other languages too, including the original Greek and Hebrew. And so it makes reading and studying and understanding the Bible much simpler. You've got it as close as your phone. Now here's some of the facts that we find in the New Testament about Jesus Christ. A child was born to Mary a virgin who conceived directly from God's Spirit. Jesus, the child, grew up, and when he was about 30, began teaching in Israel. In addition to teaching, he healed sickness and cured blindness and deafness, and he cured paralysis and repaired limbs. 
He even raised a handful of people from the dead, especially a man named Lazarus who had been in the grave four days. Most of you know this. Can you explain it to your friend or your grandchild? As Jesus went along, he called 12 people, 12 men to be his disciples, his closest students. But about 120 people altogether began to follow him around the land. He argued with the existing religious hierarchy who were more concerned about strictly following moral and ethical laws than in doing good, like many people who attend churches today. For example, they complained that Jesus' disciples were working on the Sabbath. They walked through the field. They were harvesting grain, they said, because they were simply picking the heads off the, the wheat rubbing it between their hands and eating it. They said that was harvesting, that's work. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. It didn't matter if they were hungry. But Jesus kept pointing people back to the idea that the laws were meant to help people rather than become objects of worship themselves. And along the way, Jesus referred to himself in ways that the people of the time understood were claims to be God himself. He called himself the Son of Man, which is used in the Old Testament to describe a powerful divine leader who will restore the kingdom of Israel to great power. He used the forbidden phrase, I am, repeatedly, which was part of the holy name that God gave himself when Moses asked him who he was at the burning bush. I am was forbidden because that's God's name. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And the people picked up stones to try to kill Jesus that day for blasphemy, for supposedly lying about who God was and who he was. But Jesus got away that day. But finally he was arrested and executed. Why? For claiming to be God. He died on a cross on Friday afternoon and a Roman soldier stabbed him in the side with a spear just to make sure he was dead. And then Jesus was buried in a rock tomb that afternoon. There was no doubt that he was dead. And on Sunday morning though, people began to see him alive again. Over the next few weeks, he appeared at least 11 times to various individuals and groups of people, even once to over 500 people. He walked with them and spoke with them and he ate with them. He even cooked bread breakfast for a group of his disciples and he taught them what they should do and what we should do and that he would soon return to heaven and send the Holy Spirit, the holy breath of God to be with them and teach them everything that they would need to know. It was clear from the resurrection that his claims to be close and tight with God were true and then he ascended to heaven in front of about a hundred witnesses If you ever are challenged by someone how you believe, why we think this stuff is true, probably the best book going is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Get the book, read the book, and hand it to your friends. It explains why we know that the events of the New Testament are true. But then again, explaining that is what we do here every Sunday morning. You want someone to ask you why you should come to church? That's one key reason. We teach what happened and what Jesus taught. For the purpose of church is to share wisdom. We teach about Jesus and what he taught. We share the wisdom of living from our older people to our younger people. And we share life and friendship and help each other. We make the unknown God known 
just like the Apostle Paul did to the people of Athens. In our world, mothers have a big responsibility in life, for it falls upon the mothers, supported heavily by the fathers, to teach their children about the unknown God, the God that is Jesus Christ. For mothers have the most time with their children. Is it important to you that your children will one day join you in the next life? Is it important to you that stepchildren, that grandchildren, that their, their friends will join you in the next life? Or do you just hope that they'll learn about Jesus Christ from the world around us? If that's your hope, it probably won't happen, for the world is more likely to teach about sports and cars and romantic love and superheroes and demons than about Jesus Christ. If you're a grandmother or grandfather, take every opportunity to teach your children to pray, your grandchildren to pray, to hear stories and readings from the Bible. You can read a simple story to them from the Bible. Teach them to grow up with children friends who will love them. Teach them about the unknown God. If the parents can't come to church because of work commitments, and I know that happens, then bring your precious grandchildren to church. I can say from personal experience that if we leave the understanding of Jesus Christ to our children's friends and the world, they'll come like I did at the time. They'll come to know Jesus Christ as simply a couple of words you say when you're upset. But if we insist that they join us in church every Sunday, in a church like this one, a church that loves children and the noise they make, then they and ourselves will become more joyful and happier and more capable of doing good in this life for ourselves and others. For Jesus has commanded us to teach all people, including our children and grandchildren, what Jesus has commanded, and to baptize them. And we do this in obedience to Jesus. But you know, there's also practical reasons. It's not just about Jesus' command. There's practical reasons about teaching about Jesus. As we grow older, one day many of us will be in a nursing home. Would you rather be in a nursing home surrounded by non-Christian nurses or by Christian nurses? Wouldn't you be, rather be surrounded as you get older by Christian believers whom you can call upon for help? Isn't that a very practical reason for teaching young people about Jesus? You know, there's countries where few people are Christian, and amazingly enough, those are the countries we hear about murders and violence and civil wars everywhere, every day, that makes life very difficult for peaceful people. Then there's another reason we teach. The fact that as we teach our children and grandchildren and even friends, we learn more about Jesus ourselves and grow closer to him. Teaching others about Jesus is one of the best ways for us to become better Christians. For those we teach, they'll be watching us. And the Holy Spirit will speak to us every time we fall short of our teachings. Do we have a problem gossiping too much? Try teaching your children not to gossip. They'll point out every time you gossip. Do you have a problem with losing your temper? Try teaching your grandchildren to control their temper. And they'll point, insist that we control our temper. Is our conversation too negative? Try teaching your grandchildren to stop being negative, And they'll force us to be positive or not speak at all. Is our Bible knowledge weak? 
sit down with your grandchildren and try to teach them a few Bible stories. They're going to ask you questions, and those questions will make you study. And what are our prayers too few? Teach your children when and how to pray, and they will turn to prayer even when we forgot, and we will become ashamed because they are praying so much more than we are. Or perhaps you have been following Peter's advice from today's reading. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Perhaps the most effective witness for Jesus is the man or woman who's almost always positive and happy and joy-filled. People want to know why you always have so much hope. They may even ask you. They might ask you, why are you so joyful? But most won't ask. That's okay you'll still notice that they always want to be around you. Wouldn't you want people to always be asking you why you're so joyful? Of course, if you are filled with such hope, let your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your neighbors and even your parents know the reason for our hope, which is our deep understanding that Jesus Christ, the Son of the Creator of the universe, knows exactly who we are and what's happening in each of our lives, and has it all under control, even when we feel out of control. For you know, even as adults, we can be like the toddler who doesn't understand that they need sleep. We can be like the, the toddler who doesn't understand their sugar levels are crashing and they need food. The toddler who's played themselves silly for hours and goes into a complete meltdown when another child takes the green ball instead of the red ball. All, of these all these toddlers understand is that a hug from mom will do them good and give them stability. And mom's there. And mom, of course, is so much bigger and stronger and calmer than we are. And everything feels right. We are much the same when we've been overwhelmed by our jobs and our physical ailments, by our lack of sleep, by crashing sugar and coming off of caffeine, by someone else someone else taking our favorite person away or by the loss of our favorite pet, that's when we need to turn to God, the God who loves us. And when we do, we can gain a bit better stability and perspective, a bit of hope, because we're reminded that like our mother used to be, God is in control of our lives and has much greater wisdom and power than we do. So tell those around you why you have such hope so that they will begin to have that hope themselves. On the evening before he was arrested, on Thursday evening, Jesus spoke at length to his disciples. Part of what he said was this, Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I'm in your Father, I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now that evening, the assembled disciples thought that those were pretty nice words said by a, by a really nice, wise teacher. But those words became very important when the disciples watched Jesus executed on Friday. And those words became some of the most important words ever said when Jesus came back from death that Sunday. For the disciples realized that they were no longer the words of a wise man, but they were the words spoken by God on the earth. So how do we get right with God? 
keep Jesus' commands because we realize that Jesus and the Father are one and the same. And what are those commands? We'll come back next week and we'll continue teaching that. So what I want you to do now is I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, I have great hope that this is going to be a great day. Now turn back to your neighbor and say, Why, neighbor? Now tell your neighbor because the sermon's over. <laughs> if you want to pray for yourself, your mother or your grandmother, for your children or grandchildren, or someone else, come and join us at the altar during this song. You can kneel or just stand there. Maybe you can come forward with your mother or grandmother or bonus mother to pray together. Maybe today is the day to really turn to Jesus and begin learning about the unknown God. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.